she told me it was okay to feel that way because I don't know how it is when you're divorced. I can certainly tell you when you've had a, your spouse has passed away, you feel guilt. And now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody should not like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for listening. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 166 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do, 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 do. Oh, fantastic. We are back again. Check this out. Yep, we're live in the studio coming to you on a late on a Sunday evening. Uh, it is amazing that we actually had time to podcast this weekend because we literally just got back from celebrating Mason and his 11th birthday. Wow. Yeah, we actually took him to Dave and Buster's. And well, okay, that's an that understatement. is like a grown up version of Chuck E. Cheese. Well, Chuck E. Cheese, they still around? I don't even know. Yeah, they are. But that's an understatement saying that we just took him because we actually just finished hosting his birthday party, which included 16 of his friends and 15 parents, including us and his mom and his stepdad and grandma and grandpa. And so we just hosted a party for 30 people. And yet we still have energy to podcast. You're welcome. You're all welcome. Maybe I always have energy to podcast. You know, it's like I was talking about um, us having energy to put out good content for our listeners. Fantastic. Yeah, it really is. You're welcome, listeners. Yes, Christine is here in all our glory. Yeah. Well, I know it's been a busy week and a busy life for busy the last week is an understatement <laughs> for us, both of us, mainly you, though. So, where have you been, babe? Where's your travels been taking you to around the world? Where have I not been is a better question. Um, so this week, so we've been going through some rough stuff um, in our family life, family slash personal life. Uh, I don't know if I've shared before on the podcast, but my so I have one grandparent that is still left with us and a step grandma that he's married to. Uh, my grandfather, Ezekiel, is my mom's dad. So my maternal grandfather. And uh, he is almost 94 years old and uh over the last couple of weeks his he just had a really sudden dramatic decline in his health and it i mean he's been frail and like becoming more and more fragile so he's had this decline with his health since like monday just almost 2 weeks ago and it was very sudden. Uh, my mom got a call and it was like something happened. He ended up in, he had to go to the hospital. They couldn't figure out what it was. It wasn't a stroke. It wasn't a seizure. It was just all of a sudden things just stopped functioning correctly in his body. They were doing a bunch of tests while, you know, my grandpa had early stages of dementia, which given his age, we're grateful it wasn't more progressive, but whatever it was that happened to him almost two weeks ago now, it 
switched his body from being early stages dementia to late onset Alzheimer's, late onset dementia to where it's like late stages. And it was a very rapid deceleration and he just became so frail so quickly and there was nothing they could do that they made the really difficult decision to put him into hospice care at home, which means that he's being kept comfortable. Of course, the hope is that he will get better, but the goal is right now to keep him comfortable and happy. So when you're asking where I've been, I he came home from the hospital a week ago today on Mother's Day, which was really hard on my mom. Uh, my mom is the oldest daughter, so a lot of the responsibility for you know his care does land on her also with her medical background um and and thankfully my grandfather's wife Liz our grandma Liz has a daughter an older daughter also Celia who's taken on a lot of the responsibility of helping to care for her mom and my grandpa and so the he came home on hospice care a week ago so I I talked with my mom and she just said, you know, you've got to make sure that if you have things that you need to say or if you want to visit, like prioritize it. And so I took time off on Wednesday and I already needed to go up north to my parents' house on Thursday and Friday. I was just working remotely, but my grandparents, they live in Ventura County. And so I left here on Wednesday morning and drove almost 300 miles to get to their house and uh, sat with my grandpa and my my grandma Liz. And we sat for like two and a half hours and just talking and he he was lucid. So he knew who I was. But. All he was wanting to do was reminiscing, like thinking through memories and things like that. And so his wife, my grandma Liz, just said, you know, talk about happy memories with him. And so coming up with all different fun stories and they've been really reading their Bible and wanting to spend time praying. And so they asked me to pray for him. And it was just it was really hard anytime that you're going through this progressive kind of slow loss of someone, it's just very difficult. I'm very, very grateful that we've had so many years with him, but you're never ready for something like this. So it's really hard. Uh, For those who may not know, uh, what is the age of your grandfather? Oh, I said it a few minutes ago. I said he's turning 94. 94. Yeah. So We've had a good number of long, a long number of years with him. Um, his his first wife, my grandma Ray, she passed away um, three days before my my fifteenth birthday. Okay. So on St. Patrick's Day, and so she's been gone for a long time. But he did, you know, fall in love and remarried, and they've had a good twenty six years, and. I'll probably cry when I say this, but I was talking with my grandma, Liz, who's been married previously. And she we were talking about what it is like to to find love again after loss and how it can be so challenging because you step into 
a new relationship and you have this, you know, these hurts or baggage, whatever the circumstances were from your first relationship, and you get ready to step into this other new relationship. And if you haven't done the work to heal yourself, how you can repeat some of those same mistakes. And, you know, we just had a kind of a heart to heart conversation and um, her having gone through divorce, me having gone through divorce. My grandpa was, of course, there listening um, and he had been a widower. And she's she calls me. So, you know, you know, I'm Latina. So in our culture, there's these like pet names that um, grandparents or aunties will like refer to the, the children uh, Mija or Mijo. Oh, and, yeah, I love those. Yeah. yeah. But in she's always called me Mijita. And so Mijita. that's like Mijita. It's like my little one, uh, my little love. It's just like a term of endearment and um, refers to the the grandsons as Mijito. And um, my grandpa always calls me Mija. And but um, she's, you know, she's saying Mijita. You just always remember that, you know, take the time to to still learn what it's it means to be a good wife and she said it it took her until this marriage to be able to learn that and then she got tearful and she said you know she was grateful she is grateful that she's had almost 26 years of marriage to my grandfather but she's sad that it took her this long in life to be able to fight him. Oh my gosh, I'm going to start crying. Oh, babe. And it yeah. made me think of you. And really? Yes. And I was driving home to my parents' house. It was a long, long day. So, you know, I drove the almost 300 miles to, well, 250 miles to my grandparents' house and then had to get in the car and then drive another 200 plus miles to my parents' house. It was a very long travel day. And then I was just thinking, um, you know, it's crazy because the road that my grandparents live on, I was driving that road when I, when I made the decision that it was time to file paperwork to end my first marriage after going through a lot of therapy and trying to make it work. And so here I was driving on the way home, uh, instead of on the way out when I like when I made that decision and it was eight years ago, almost to the day. No way. Yeah. It was crazy. And so I was like driving that road and I just started bawling my eyes out because it's like. Reminiscing of all the things that one version or another, all the loss, you know, it's just really hard anytime you go through loss and, and then you find, you know, love again and hope again, but it's still, you know, I guess kind of like grieving before you're actually grieving because it's just seeing my grandpa. It was just like really challenging to see him in that state and everything in me wants him to get better. Of course. And, yeah. you know, live another 15, 20, 30 years or forever, you know, fountain of youth. But then there's the reality of, you know, how, what would his life be like if it continues, if, if he's, you know, kind of declining in his mental state, but, you know, it's just been definitely challenging. And then, you know, it's all kinds of highs and lows right now. So then I got back to my parents' house the very next day, Ezekiel finished his last final of high school. 
Oh, how did he do it? Did he know he yet? did so good, and he finished with all A's and B's. No way, yes, really? Yes, he's in his teacher's. I'd had a, a meeting with them earlier in the week just because it was his final um, his final exit meeting. And they did like a little conference with his dad and I uh, because that's that's what we've done every year. And they were just, you know, praising him and talking about what an amazing student he's been and what a great asset he is in their classroom. And his English teacher even said that one of his last assignments was writing a graduation speech. And he had to give it to the, like, deliver it to the class. And he volunteered first. I could see that. Yeah. He likes to be a little showman, like being on front of the stage and telling jokes. Right. But they said that the teacher said that it was very heartfelt and that he had, like, some really good points that made you think. He had some humor in it. He had some great um, kind of, like, illustrations, like, verbal illustrations of, like, I don't know how else to say it, like scenarios for people to think through. And he just said it was really remarkable and he'd seen tremendous growth. And then I'm like, it's great. I know. And I was like about to cry like my baby. And so Thursday night, my parents and I took him out to dinner to celebrate his last day, his last official day of high school. And then the next night, my niece, Jocelyn, um, who just had a baby four and a half months ago, graduated college and she's been you know finishing school she had the baby while her fiance is deployed she's this semester the last tail end of this semester carried 27 units at school is that a lot yeah typical is 12 because she was overlapping finishing her last semester of college and starting her first semester of her credential program and student teaching on top of it and having a newborn. And it was just like so freaking proud of her and of Zeke. And just it's been a very emotional week and weekend. And then um, I had work yesterday, an event yesterday. And then we had hosting Mason's party tonight. And babe, I am tuckered out. <laughs> you are tuckered out, you know. Well, I know, Chris, that you were holding down the fort. Over the last week uh, while I was traveling and you've been super supportive. And, you know, as I was talking about on that, that drive, when I was driving to my parents' house from my grandparents' house, I thought a lot about like our dating journey and, you know, coming up this June, like just a few weeks away is our dating anniversary no and I, way and i was trying to count how many years it's been hey just, just so um just so the audience knows and maybe maybe me too but just just so the audience knows what day is that i, I, I mean just, just <laughs> it's made, june 9th <laughs> june 9th <laughs> it is i'll be out of town unfortunately and taking ezekiel to las vegas for his birthday trip belated 18th birthday trip but uh, so you dodged a bullet on that one. I have no bullets here, baby. <laughs> Silver bullets. But I was Cupid bullets, really. Yeah, Cupid arrows, bullets, yeah. <laughs> something like that that doesn't wound. But um I was thinking about how many years it's been, and it was right after Mason turned six. So he just turned eleven. 11 so yeah. I thought that it was longer than that, but I guess it's been five years. I thought it was six years, but I think it's five years that we've been together now. And crazy, huh? I know. And I was thinking about when, you know, as I was driving that long road 
between Ojai in Ventura County and um, before you get to Six Flags. It's this super long, straight stretch of road, and it's kind of just a little bit barren and hills on either side. And I was thinking about the journey that it took to get to you and like all of the like different steps that could have taken me off path. And especially after my grandma Liz was talking about, you know, being mindful of what you have. And uh, she talked about it, like tending to the relationship, like a a garden and, you know, making sure you don't let the weeds like take hold and, um, or, you know, die and watering. What would be be an example of a weed in a relationship? I don't, I don't know. I don't want to put words into her mouth, but it just made me think of like, that we've been working so hard for the past five years to grow this relationship into what it is. But all of those different dating stories that we had going into this relationship that had we chosen one of those other partners might've taken us down a much different path. Had we selected a different person? I mean, I don't think I was the only person that you dated after your divorce. Uh, uh what? No, of course, <laughs> babe. Come on, I, I, I didn't. I, I don't know. I only saw you, baby, the entire time. You were the only person in my entire world well, ever. Thank you. I appreciate that, but we all know that's not the truth. But <laughs> um, you know, we do have a great guest that is coming up. That's going to talk a bit about uh, his dating journey after a time of loss in his life and some unique perspectives and lessons. And I think especially given what we've been talking about today, it's going to be very interesting to you all. So we'd encourage you to stay tuned and he's going to be back with us right after this. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudio.com slash easy. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest. I'm very excited to talk with this gentleman who has been on the journey of self-discovery. He is an author. He has some great insights for us. Welcome to the show, Turner Grant. Thank you so much, Christine and Chris. Nice to be with you. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, Turner. Well, thank you so much for stopping by today, man. I really appreciate this. How was the flight in on the private plane? (laughs) (laughs) It was wonderful. My first flight on a private plane. So thank you both so much. It was uh, Joe the captain today? No, I think it was John. I think it was John. Uh, uh, Was it with Phillips, maybe? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that first class. Very nice, whatever whatever the name was. Very nice. Well, it, all joking aside, Turner, what area of the world are you joining us from today? I live in Northern Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And as the crow flies, if anyone knows where the CIA is located, yeah. I'm two miles from the CIA. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Now, I the mean, question is, do you actually work for the CIA or if it, is it one of those, like, if you told us, you'd have to do away with us situations? Well, ironically, I can tell you, having lived here for 32 years, that I have known and know people who work for the CIA, and they both tell you they're real estate agents when they do work for the CIA. Hmm. And they tell you they do work for the CIA because most people won't believe them. So it's sort of like putting it out in plain sight. You won't see it if they say, yeah, I work for the CIA. I'm sure we'll go with that. It reminds me of the movie uh, Vacation when he was in the bar and uh, that blonde, um, whatever her name is, and he's talking <laughs> to her and she says, most people tell me they work for the CIA. <laughs> it's like, no, that was a long time ago. I don't talk about it. <laughs> there is a code word. I will share with you a little bit of inside information. In Washington, D.C., we don't say the CIA. If you're a real insider, you simply say the agency. Ah, the agency, yes. Right. I use that term all the time. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> so I was watching, uh, I was catching up a couple of months ago. I don't know what had happened in my life, but I'd never watched the full series of Madam Secretary, and I finally got into it and binge-watched the entire series. And they were talking about the agency in there and being read in on situations. And I'm like, I know all the lingo now. Like if I meet a spy, I could totally like keep on a conversation with them and act like I'm one too. So, you know, I you feel- You actually can. I have watched that show and it is uh, very, very accurate. Whoever the writers really? were for that really zeroed in on sort of what it's like, both the egos, the power, the frustrations of people who are trying to do well and do good and those who are simply trying to climb the ladder and, and be on top. It is a very accurate portrayal, I would have to tell you. Well, I have a very important question for you, Turner. So first of all, in my background, okay. when I was in college, I majored in political science. And so I'm slightly more than obsessed with Washington, D.C. and its history. I have to know because I've <laughs> never been there. Have you ever been inside of the White House? I have been inside the White House. Um, I have been inside, let's see, if I go down the list, I went inside for a White House tour when I first visited here in my 20s, and it was easy to get in. Get in. This is all pre-9-11. Then the second time I was in the White House was for the Easter egg roll when my twin boys were four years old. Oh, wow. And so... And we went through then. And then the third time I was in was for a Christmas, um, a, a very close friend who worked for the then president, uh, we won't name names, but the president at the time, and they had tickets to, you know, bring friends through to tour and see all the Christmas decorations. So that was, was that four times now? And then the fifth time- What? Uh, Five? I actually wasn't in, I wasn't actually in the White House, but last 4th of July, the same very close friend, who is a part of some, some very, um, some organizations that do really great things for veterans. The president invited uh, a very small group initially before the, the gates are opened on the 4th of July. And I was sitting at a table, I would estimate about 30 feet from that South Lawn door where you always see the president coming out to give a speech and spent the entire 4th of July from like, 2 p.m. till about 10.30 p.m. on the South Lawn of the White House, literally just 
30, 40 feet from the back door. No way. That's incredible. Yeah. Now I'm wondering. It when, was it was a blast. It was a blast. Is it a big property? I mean, I've seen it from the gate, but it's like it's still when you're all the way across the that big lawn on the public facing side, it looks right. so miniature. So is it a big house once you get there? And is, is it white, more importantly? Oh, no, no, I wasn't <laughs> going to ask that. Is it really big <laughs> or does it just like underwhelm you when you get inside? Let's say, well, I'm also an architect, so I, I oh, okay. will I will you know, shade it with my architectural um, co- thoughts and commentary. It is not the biggest house in Washington, by any means, and certainly not as big as houses you might find in California or any other place where there's a you know, prominent houses, especially of historical significance. But it is an incredibly prominent house. Mm. May not be the biggest. It's big. Let's just put it out there. It's a big house. But what really makes it so imposing is it's so prominent. And let's face it, it's on axis with the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, and all all things point to it. So it's got a lot of, you know, prominence pointing to it. It's pretty impressive. The lawn is actually quite huge. It is where they land the helicopter, after all. They don't, they don't have a pad and for that? A dedicated people, pad? Is, they do it on the lawn? They, they have an area that it, actually the lawn is reinforced, in my understanding, but uh, I believe that's also something secret that I don't think I'm well, supposed the agency to talk about. Very <laughs> <laughs> frankly, uh, they've got it worked out. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, that's super fascinating. And I, you know, I did get to see the helicopter land on the lawn one time. I was taking, I was uh, formerly, before I'm in my current role, I was a middle school principal and we took our eighth grade students to Washington, D.C., and our tour guide got uh, information that Marine One was getting ready to land. And so we got to be on the side of the fence and see Marine One land. And that was pretty freaking awesome. My kids were just that like blown away. That is very cool. Yeah. Not everybody gets to see that. You were, That's pretty special to see Marine One land. It's, I agree. Uh, everybody. Body in Washington, you know, we're, we're jaded here. We see this, you know, we see things all the time. But when Marine One comes flying over the National Wall and you realize the president is on there, everybody just stops and looks. So the fact that you were so close and you had the kids with you, that's pretty special. I agree. That's fantastic. I always thought they had two helicopters, like a decoy. Actually, it's three. <gasps> see? Yeah. Yep. See, Chris. Only if you work at the agency, you know that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, three come in, one peels off, and depending on when you saw it, you may have only seen two, but it's always three. Oh, I see. It's like the it's like the shell game with the you the cups and the little thing. What 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 which one is it in? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) That's it. That's it exactly. It's not complicated, but you don't know which one this is until the very last minute. Yeah. Well, Turner, you mentioned that you first visited D.C. in your 20s, so it makes me believe that maybe you're a transplant to the area. Are you originally from Virginia and the surrounding areas, or did you relocate to the East Coast from somewhere else? I am very much a transplant. I am from a very small town in Tennessee. It's where I grew up. Uh, My father was in the Army, and he was stationed to teach ROTC at a local college in a a small town just south of Nashville. So Nashville was the big 
city for, for me growing up. And I know some people say that I don't talk like I'm from the South, although I think it mm -hmm. slips out and I can slip into it pretty effortlessly. So I'm originally from Tennessee, went to uh, architecture school uh, at Auburn University. And then after working in Nashville a bit, after receiving my first degree in architecture, I went to Boston and Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I had to get, I, I went there to get a job. I also wanted to go to graduate school at Harvard, which I eventually did. But do you remember a long time ago when executives had something called secretaries? Oh, yes. You remember those days? Oh, no, okay. are they called now uh, administrative assistants? Uh, and I think there may be yet another title, but right, yeah, we'll go with administrative assistance. But at the time, it was the secretary, and I had to get past the secretary to get to the partner to do my little elevator pitch about getting a job. And I was talking to her, and she stopped me mid-sentence, and she said, you're not from here, are you? And I <laughs> said, can you tell? And she said, Oh, yes. <laughs> so from that moment forward, I consciously tried to get rid of my accent. Oh. So, but it's, so I am a transplant for sure. I grew up in Tennessee, went to school in the Deep South. I was in Cambridge for eight years, went to graduate school at Harvard. I uh, got my master's degree in architecture and stayed and worked during the 1980s. And Toward the end of that time, I decided it was time to leave, and I had sort of picked Washington as sort of an in-between. It was still a big city, but it was a little bit further south, a little bit warmer. But as, you know, karma or, you know, someone was looking down on me, I met my wife-to-be on the ballroom dance floor in Boston. I was a ballroom dancer. She what? was a ballroom dancer. It was a rumba, and her family was very old Washington family, and she was looking to go back to Washington. She worked for Hewlett Packard and was an executive. She was actually 10 years older than me, so it was a May-December romance. And so we actually met, and it was ironic. I was looking to leave Boston and move to Washington, and she was looking to go back after being there seven years. And... That's how I actually got to Washington. We decided about six months later, let's let's do it. She transferred back to Hewlett Packard. I quit my job and came down and got a new job. And that's was thirty three years ago. And my life in Washington began and this is home. That's amazing. So you literally swept her off her feet on the dance floor. Oh, that there was you a go. good one. Well, <laughs> oh, I, I, I like that I like that description. Uh, I nervously asked her if she would like to dance. <laughs> And I could tell you that the first dance was a rumba. So how's that? So is a rumba like... It's quicker, right? Is it? Yeah, I think so. It makes me a, think a of a rumba. Is sort of a, a rumba is a slower I'm Latin dance. And oh. the, the closest thing to an American dance would be foxtrot. Oh, okay. Got it. That makes more sense. So it's not the one... It's not the sexy dance per se, uh, like tango or... Uh, uh, Pasa Doble or some well, that's all I do those. like tangos and pasta, pasta. That's, yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course you do <laughs> as you do you uh, know <laughs> on, a, on a Wednesday night you know <laughs> exactly so anyway that's we met there and moved here and our life began together and we married two years later she had been married before I had not been married and being an architect we she really loved design so that was one of the things that we connected on and as I said, she was from old Washington family. And she asked me as after I had proposed, we were thinking about where we would you know, do the ceremony of this and all those details. And she said, where would you like to be married? 
She said, I've been married before, but you haven't. I want this to be your wedding. And I said, gee, the Washington National Cathedral would be great, but I know that's not possible. (laughs) But it was. And we were married at the Washington National Cathedral in the Great Choir. Wow. Congratulations. That was amazing. Thank you. Oh, it was unbelievable. It was, you know, it's one of those pinch yourself kinds of uh, moments. It was just spectacular. That sounds phenomenal. That's almost up there with getting married at Disneyland, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I think a little bit more history, Chris. I think a little bit, just a smidge. (laughs) uh, I think, well, I will tell you that, again, another little insider thing. If you want to get married at the Washington National Cathedral, you can apply, but then you each have to write a one-page essay as to why you want to get married at the Washington National Cathedral. And they tell you, and you can't say, because it would be wonderful, memorable. It's such a wonderful church. So all the obvious things they say, and you can't say that in your essay. Mm. Because they want to know that you recognize the significance of the symbol of the cathedral, probably. And they want you to dig deeper and you know, think of the meaning and the, you know, what kind of almost what value you're going to add to it in terms of by getting married here, we will, you know, it'll you're do the following. Onto it. I think you're, you're actually onto it. You're actually onto it. Um, they, 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 they put you through the ringer to, to, to get to church. But again, uh, being a part of old Washington family, there, there were, as Washington works, you know, there is some insider connections that, made all that work too. Well, Turner, we know as part of your story, because Chris and I have read your bio, that you, um, over a period of time ago, uh, lost your wife in an unfortunate manner, which we don't need to necessarily dig into, but you found yourself as a single parent of your twin boys. Um, How long have you been a single parent of your boys as a widower? Now it's uh, actually... It's going to be exactly 13 years in three days. Oh, wow. The 13th anniversary is coming up this week, actually. And how old are your boys now? They're now 27 years old. Okay. Um, They were 14 at the time. And as I said, one is a special needs child. He lives uh, in a group home for disabled adults very close by. And I was just with him today. My other son uh, majored in computer science. And is working for one of the big, I don't know if you've ever heard the term Beltway Bandits. They're large companies that do a lot of contracting and work for the federal government. He's with one of those companies in cybersecurity trying to keep our country safe. So very happy right, so with yeah. what he's doing and, and so forth. Is he like working on figuring out how to like eliminate the, what is that dark web or whatever I keep hearing about? Like, Is he, is he in there trying to figure out that stuff and trying to like block hackers from doing crazy things with your credit cards and things like that? Well, as he tells me when I ask him what he's doing, he says, Dad, you know, I can't tell you what I'm doing. Ah, so. it's classified. <laughs> don't, even, don't ask. Yes. That's what we say in the agency. It's classified. That's right. That's exactly. what they teach you exactly. that at the farm, I heard. <laughs> oh, they do. Oh, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. So you've been walking out this journey now for uh, nearly 13 years. And, you know, one of the things that we shared before we started recording today, while Chris's and my circumstances are different, is we started this podcast Uh, we're coming up on the four-year anniversary. When we started the journey of dating after divorce and um, we joked at the beginning of our podcast that we had these crazy stories that we had cultivated over each of our dating journeys that it's like, 
you had to, you'd have to read it in a book to really believe that it's real because there's things that happen as you're in your thirties, forties, fifties, navigating this newer dating landscape that, you know, people that have been married for 30, 20, 30 years have never experienced. So um, we know a little bit about your book digs into this, but can you tell us about um, it's the title is to Venus and back, correct? To Venus and back one man's quest to rediscover love. Yeah. So and through that, you've been like going through the dating journey, correct? I went through it. It was for a three year period and there was a very hard beginning and a very hard stop. Um, there is a happy ending to the story, which is at the end of the story, which I won't go into, but... Spoiler now. <laughs> my wife... No, yeah, don't want to... But my wife passed away, uh, as we discussed. And then for the next two years, I was trying to right the ship, as, as I describe it. Take care of my children. Uh, one who was special needs, as I talked about, and he left to go away. Uh, when my other son started high school, my special needs son went to a program in Massachusetts, 450 miles away. So I was navigating that. That was the best thing for him. And then, of course, after a loss like I experienced, you have, and I'm very fortunate to be part of a very big in-law family mm-hmm. who are my family. But the question of you know, what happened and why, and it's, it's trying to comfort everybody else in their loss while I'm trying to figure out what my life is going to be for me and my children and how are we going to be next year and the year after that and the year after that. So for those first two years, I describe it as the weight of the events of the past were, were firmly on my shoulders and just crushing me. And I, I didn't know what to do. I was so blessed to have an incredible mother-in-law, Mary. And so she had lost her daughter. I had lost my wife Mm -hmm. and, we helped each other immensely and we had dinner at least once a week and it was about the two year mark. So about 11 years ago, about this time, I told her that I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't carry this with me anymore, that I have to get it off. And she, in the kindest and most loving way said, I think you should get it off. You have to Turner and let me know what I can do to help. And then she said the magic words that, and if you can imagine your mother-in-law saying this to you, she said, and perhaps a new woman in your life would be nice, Mm. maybe. And that's what started my journey. And four weeks later, I went out to an event. You said you were a political science major. I had actually, was running for Congress just before my wife passed away. I pulled out of the race shortly before she passed away. So I was fully uh, immersed in the whole campaign and was fairly well known in my local community. I went out to uh, a spring gala and with the, with the express intention to see what the world of middle-aged dating and middle-aged, single middle-aged women was all about. And I, w- I was never good going out to the bar scene or anything like that in my 20s. And I swear that walking up to the table that evening at this gala that was outside in a, in a very fabulous house was harder than going to my first political debate. I was absolutely a basket case, but I was pushing myself out there because it seemed like it's what I needed to do to try to move forward. So I pushed myself out there. But as you both know, 
it's scary and you, you just don't know. I, I compare it to, you know, when you're in high school, you're sort of hapless and clueless. But when you're in junior high school, you're in that pre-hapless and clueless period. I think I was in the junior high school period of being pre-hapless and clueless. I was so lost. I, I had no idea. I was married to someone, the love of my life for 20 years, never expecting to be doing this again. And on the one hand, I thought, you know, I was, I was married for 20 years. I, I, I lived out my marriage vows. I, I got this. And then as soon as I went to get that name tag, I realized you have no clue what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I had no clue. I was so nervous. I, I, was, I was awkward. I was hesitant. But I started. And the first chapter in To Venus and Back is entitled Crossing the Threshold. And that's what it was. It was just crossing that threshold. I think making that first move or that first step just to do it, just to get out there, just just the one thing, you know, once you get that ball rolling, did you find it a little easier after you got that one first step under your belt and you kept moving? It certainly made it easier. It was that that barrier you don't think you can get through. So I, I'd at least gotten through that barrier. And then, of course, I was I felt more lost than I did before getting through the barrier. But, you know, it's I I tell people I hate cliches, but the 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 saying one foot in front of the other is true. You have to put that foot out there to go as scary as it is. And it is scary. Let me tell you. Um, it was easier, but the thing that was very hard for a couple of years, and it, it took a few more years before it, it, it started to fade, was my whole sense of self and being was being the husband to my wife. Mm. Even then, it had been two years since she passed away, but my identity, my, my self-identity was being her husband. And I, I wondered out loud to Mary and to friends, and I had a great group of female friends, uh, cousins and work colleagues who I could confide in to make sure I was not going off course. How is this getting out there thing supposed to, to change that, who I feel I am? But it was an asked and answer question. It's the very process of doing it and getting out there and having those experiences that begins to transform your life and you begin to find your future, begin to get your feet under you. And you, get, you begin to figure out what's important to me now, what's not important to me now. And then, of course, you meet all these people, in my case, all these women who've been through their own life journeys. And you're figuring out where, you know, where they are and where things are fragile in their heart. And it's, um, it's, it's like nothing I've ever experienced before in my life. And at this point, it was in my early 50s, but there was nothing in my life that prepared me for this moment. Yeah, I remember once, so Chris and I had both, as we mentioned, gone through divorces. And I remember for me, while our circumstances were different, that was the only person, like he was my first boyfriend that I was married to. We, you know, got married young. We dated for a while, but when it was time to, when I, I say time arbitrarily, like this kind of quote unquote time to get back out there, as people say, uh-huh. it's like, what uh-huh. does that even mean? And how do I, after I've had this partnership for so long and I never envisioned having to do this and uh, like, what do I look for? Do I look for 
something similar to what I had because I don't want to get into this. Let's yeah. just replace the original model. Like, you know, it's right. not like we're going in and buying a car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, you know, we knew what we right. had was, you know, reliable, dependable, and we were um, in love with it and obsessed with it enough that we were going to keep it for the rest of our lives. Like, we're not like, okay, let's go get a 2.0 version of it, which is interesting <laughs> because right. I've seen some guys like, some of my guy friends that have remarried and their second spouse looks so similar to their first wife. And I'm like, Whoa. Well, but it's got a taste, you know? Wow. Yeah. But this is like, you look at them in photos and you're like, are you the same person? But I feel like I wrestled with that of how do I even know what I need now that I'm this different person? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly it. And that's where you're really lost. And the only thing you have to compare it to is what you had. For me, it was for 20 years. And it was a real struggle. You know, what, what, what's right? What's right? Right. Uh, and you, don't, you, you almost don't trust yourself. That's why I felt lucky to have the female friends that I could talk to about, the, about this. And um, it's hard. It's just tough. Anyone starting over again, whether, and I, as I met women who were mostly divorced, it wasn't until later on that I decided I wanted to focus on uh, women who were also widowed so that they would sort of understand things. I wouldn't have to explain them anymore, mm-hmm. but divorce is no less of a loss than no through death. Uh, right. the, the What you have is gone. The future you thought you had is gone and you're, you're alone and you've got to You've got to start something new and you don't know, do I go north, south, east, west? You have no idea. Well, what do you think, Turner, would be, I know there's, if you remember hearing long ago, they say if you've been dating somebody in a relationship with somebody so many years, there's a mathematical formula to how long you had to take a break before you date somebody new. What? I've never heard that, Chris. Oh, come Tell on. me more. Tell you, me more. Okay, I didn't know there was going to be math tonight. I have <laughs> <Yeah>. to say. <laughs> you didn't give but, me a heads up on this. But I, I think if you've been together, it was just say a year. I think you can't date anybody for three or five months, something like what? that. What? You're just making it up. He's like, he's like sitting here counting, counting I think he's fingers. making it up too. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's telling me. I, there's some truth to what you're saying. I mean, people want answers, right? People want answers. They want guidance. So, and maybe there is a rule of thumb and some, there's a slide rule out there or a calculator that will calculate this for you. I don't know. Maybe for me, it was that two years because I, I felt like I was being crushed. Mm. I reached out to my mother-in-law and in that knowing way that she said it, you know, she, she gave me the green light. She told me it was okay to feel that way because I don't know how it is when you're divorced. I can certainly tell you when you've had a, your spouse has passed away, you feel guilt. Mm. Um, and am I betraying my husband or wife because I'm now having these thoughts and wanting to do this? There's, there's real guilt. It's palatable. It really is. So as you were launching into dating, what were some of the things that you carried with you as absolutes? You mentioned that you being a widower needed somebody that was also in that stage of life, but did you have the quote unquote checklist that, you know, as women, we arbitrarily may or may not create lists of what we're looking for in future partners. Or did you go in (laughs) like really open, like, let's just see what kind of person 
um, I'm attracted to from like ceramic maker and artist all the way to, you know, spy. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I, I had no sense about what would, uh, who or what I would be attracted to. And maybe it's my architect mentality. When you come into a project as an architect, it can be a project type that you've never done before, but you sort of know the process and you start with a clean sheet of paper. So I tried to approach it just as you described. I just went in, let's just see what happens. Let's see who comes along. And I felt like that process, architects really lean on the process, that this process of discovery was what was going to be, ultimately be the breadcrumbs that would be laid out in front of me as the path to follow. By the way, I've seen those must-have lists that women, that women have, especially on their dating profiles. And I've also seen the must-not-have list. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah? Is I did not have there... either one. Oh, okay. Well, you keep your options open. I like that. Chris had a must-have list. I Did I now? Yes, you did. What was it? So Chris well, and my, my first thing on my list was Christine. No must-have. <laughs> So we met on a digital dating platform and his stated, um, I am looking for somebody that is also a single parent and understands Uh, the demands of single parenting. And I was like, okay, I could get behind that. And then he had a couple of other things listed mm -hmm. about himself that were pretty clear. He wasn't saying like, I'm looking for someone like this, but he says, you know, I am a person who, Um, and a couple of things, he's like, I bought my own home by myself in San Diego, which for me, that's like a huge accomplishment. It's a huge real estate market. It's expensive. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so he's got to at least have enough financial sense that he can keep a roof over his and his kid's head. And, um, he just talked about, you know, the importance of being a parent and having somebody that's like-minded. I had, I think that for me, I didn't have a list so much as I had created a list of red flags to look out for as I'd kind of, Oh, what were those? I'm curious. I'd ventured through this season of random dating. Like I didn't know what I was looking for, so I didn't know how to filter very well. And I think what played into that also was after going through the divorce was the shame and the low self-confidence. So like at first when I started dating, you're, I was wounded in dating. And so I was attracting mm. other people that were wounded in dating. And so but two wrongs make mm. a right, basically. Right. So I started to attract yeah, gentlemen wow. that still had um, some of their own hangups, um, some that had some addictions. And I'm like, here I am a very successful oh, wow. uh, woman in my own career. And I'm like, why am I a magnet for this? Or um, people that weren't like, forthcoming in their communication or would, um, you know, not follow through on promises and things like that. And so those started to become red flags. And did you, okay. So you noticed that they were red flags and you avoided that. Yeah, definitely. I will tell you that I was called on the carpet very early on. I, I, I went six months meeting people the old fashioned way, as it were, and again, speaking of Washington, it was a mother on my street. It was a end of summer block party. And I had told her I had done a couple of things and she immediately launched in, where are you going to do online dating? Are you going to do it? <laughs> I said, no. And, but she was a professional at getting you to 
go her way. Oh. She's a lobbyist. So she went into instant lobbying mode. And at the time, eHarmony was the prominent one. I think OkCupid okay was coming on and the Mash.com was out mm-hmm. there. But she was the one who twisted my arm that night, that August night. And I came home, remember opening up the website and looking at it. And it kind of looked nice. Mm-hmm. But you remember when in the Indiana Jones, when he finds the lost ark or he's told the story of it, of it if you open it, you unleash the catastrophic catastrophic forces that could destroy the world. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how what they, I felt. Yeah. That's what it felt like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it was scary. It was scary. Now, what was scary about thing, it to you, though? Like, huh? We say scary. What was it? What's scary about it? Well, I, I figured that out pretty quickly. I was first scared about putting personal information out there that strangers would see. But then I soon realized that my biggest fear was putting myself out there and people who knew me would see me. Oh. So you're, you're afraid of running into somebody who actually knew you on the dating site? Yes. Uh-huh. Because I thought at the time it just sort of had loser written all over it. Oh. Right. oh that's like, another site. Yeah, you were on the right one. <laughs> <laughs> I did find, though, I was called on the carpet. It was a woman originally from France. And on the phone call, the initial phone call, she just said, let's talk tonight. And after the usual chit chat, how long have you been out dating, your kids, your job, and so forth, she immediately got to the point. She said, are you ready? And I said, am I ready for dating? I, I think I'm ready for dating. You know, I, I've sort of talked to my story. She goes, no, 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 no. Are you ready to have a woman in your life right now? Mm. And I said, uh, I, I fumbled with the answer. It was not a good answer. Mm-hmm. And she said, what kind of answer is that? And then she quickly uh, invited me to play tennis that next Saturday. And we went out, played tennis, and we had lunch. And then she drilled right back in. Wow, that's and intense. she said, I asked, are you ready? She said, yes, I've been divorced and alone for four years. I want someone now. And so I was wondering, okay, okay so does that mean any man will do is she just looking for a living breathing man and i happen to be <laughs> it and that's it i mean is there a must have list or a must not have list or is it just living breathing and there but anything she, with a pulse really is what it is yeah so it kind of made me wonder so that was one of my early experiences but so that didn't go well but i did find that i was you know was I attracted to anyone like my wife? There was one aspect that I was attracted to. That was someone who had an incredible sense of style. Ooh. Who sort of knew what they were, who dressed a certain way that, you know, they just, it just were able to pull it all together. And ultimately someone who appreciated good design because architecture is not just about building design or urban design. It really, it's a sensibility you gain that pervades across all, all kinds of design. One thing that my, late wife loved about me as she discovered early on was that I was the rare man who liked to go shopping and I could pick out clothes for her that would look great on her that she would never have picked out. So. Because I'm you d- know lines and you know, know what lines, compliments. Materi- materials, yeah. cut, tailoring. There's just a sensibility. There's just a design sensibility. So she would not go shopping unless I was able to go shopping with her. I loved that. And we had a great time. So I was attracted to someone who had a sense of style about them. So that came on early on. But beyond that, I was really open to to 
to anything because I just didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. So I had to learn what I didn't know and what was important to me. And that's what the process became. So in this process, Turner, I have to know, because we, we've heard just a little bit about your opening Pandora's box of digital <laughs> dating. Um, but I, so many people have seen the movie Sleepless in Seattle and yes. you know, similar ones where you have a widower and it's the well-meaning friends that say, oh, well, I have this, you know, interior designer or this that I'd love for you to meet. Or it's the, or it's the, oh, um, come over for dinner. And then they mysteriously invite over another friend. Did you get, um, (laughs) what's the word that I want to say? That's a blind date, right? Well, no, blind side. It's a blind side. There was actually a chapter in my book that was dropped because Tavina Savak was too long. Oh, okay. It was a short chapter, but the title of the chapter was just what you said. The title of the chapter was, I have a friend I'd like you to meet. And I sort of criticized the whole concept of it because it seemed like, except for one who did give a lot of thought, the only thought that went into this, I have a friend I'd like you to meet is, oh, I have a female friend who's single. And oh, your signal single. So you should be great together. That's all it takes, right? what about her as a person? (laughs) What about me as a person? Did you give that any thought? No, I just thought you're single. She's single. So yeah. And it was always a disaster. Always. That's so difficult. Yeah, it is. So Turner, what do you think is different from like, say, dating your 20s to dating your 50s? Like what's the big differences really? I think the biggest difference is when you're in your 20s and you meet someone, the conversation is about your hopes and dreams. And when you're in your 50s, you've lived a lot of your life. And some of those dreams didn't come true. Some of those hopes didn't come true. New things that you never even dreamed of came true. So in your 50s, you're looking back on your life. In your 20s, you're looking forward to your life. And that is a huge difference. Because when you're in your 50s, you have something called baggage. And I can't tell you how many dating profiles I read of women who said, and near the top of their must-haves list or must-not-haves list, (laughs) no baggage. I'm sorry. If you lived into your 40s and 50s, it is impossible to not accumulate baggage. And I actually found, at least my my, my insight, my, my view would be those who wanted a man without baggage actually had the most baggage of all the women I ever met. On no Venus. way. Yes. <laughs> well, because they don't, they want the opposite of them. That's why. Yes. Yes. Yep. Or, they they lacked, really, or they lack the emotional depth to be able to recognize that you're a human who has hurts and hangups and pains and to love you because of them, not in spite of them. I'm so glad to hear that from a woman, Christine. I am so glad to hear a smart <laughs> woman say that. Yes, that's it. Yes, yes, yes. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because one of the things as Chris and I started to date, and if you listen to some of our earlier episodes and even some of the ones in between, we have woven in different aspects of our relationship throughout. And, you know, we went through similar journey. So I wanted to date somebody who had also been through divorce because I think, like you said, you were 
you were open to dating another, uh, you were open to dating a widow that had yes. knew the experiences of what a widower had proceeded uh-huh. through and the pain and the, you know, circumstances that preceded the loss of your spouses may be different, but the, right. the grief is similar. Same comes with divorce is our journey sure. with being the spouse that was um, left for a lack of better terms allowed us to understand like what we appreciate in relationships and what we didn't want to perpetuate and understand each other's hurts that we'd had yes. to overcome. Yes. And I felt yes. like that, I wouldn't call it baggage. I call it like <sighs> grounding for lack of better terms, because I feel I like, like that. yeah, because like baggage is such a, a negative connotation, but mm-hmm. it's what's, it has been an anchor and not tended to and not healed through therapy and all the things can become a weight. But for us, it's like helped us to be grounded and present and real in what we're looking for. Um, because I think what can happen is after some kind of loss, when you get back into the the dating market, for lack of better terms, is if you haven't dealt with the rawness of those things that can anchor you, they do become like sinking anchors where you can't yes, move they do. forward. They do. Right? You you have a great perspective on this. Uh, clearly you've learned a lot of life lessons and, and you really do hit it on the head. It's not baggage. You've lived life, you've learned about life. Uh, life happens. That's sort of one of my saints. Life happens. And if you learn from it, you're better, you're understanding. And I have found that people seek me out because of my experiences, both through law through the dating uh, period of time, the for me looking for someone who was widowed, the three years that the the period of time that to Venus and back covers, the second year was actually a one year relationship. And one of the things I learned, and I was warned early on by another woman I had one date with, was that the ghost of wife past will come into play, mm. and it did, and it was a huge problem. And that, after that breakup, and I initiated the breakup after a year, was one of the reasons I realized I should probably be looking for someone who was also uh, widowed from their spouse because they will just understand. And we will both have our own ghost, as it were, and it won't be an issue. But it was a huge issue. So in that regard, losing your spouse through divorce and losing your spouse through death, I think are very different. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. So in my, I work in education full-time, but Chris and I also own a wedding and event management company. And we work with couples from all different walks of life uh, with full service wedding planning. And, you know, I've had couples that it's their first marriage or where one has been divorced or they've both been previously divorced Uh, But I have been working with some couples more recently where um, one party is a widow or a widower and the other, it's their first marriage. And it's interesting when those individuals do talk with me privately and it's the, you know, worried that they're never going to measure up to what the the former spouse, the deceased spouse was like. And, you know, so it's interesting that you say that. And that's why I think 
you know, there's a, there's a lot of truth to every, every couple has to make their own decisions, but well, you know, having that experience to know that like, you're not going to be held up against that individual, but that you do need to give your, your partner the ability to still remember their former spouse and the memories and the journey that they went through and not throw it all out as if they never existed. I think that that's just, it's such an interesting well, I dynamic. I think it's probably different versus say a bad divorce mm-hmm. because with a bad divorce, you really want to forget them, you know, and not have anything to do with them, shred all the pictures, burn the wedding dress, you name it, you know, but with a, with a, uh, widower situation, probably it's a little different because you probably oh, no. have a lot of happy memories and, and um, it was happy, yeah, true. you know, because, because you think of your ex and you're like, oh gosh, they did this, they did that, you know, and, you know, and, and the reason why you're divorced in the first place. So that's my thought on it anyways. It, it is very different. And I didn't understand that difference going into it. I said I was very open and that I would learn along the way. And that is one of the things I learned. But even I, I can share that the, the comparison to before is there and, and it can be very sensitive. I, I said I was a barroom dancer. I enjoyed dancing. And someone I met um, and am still with, when I, she was a very good dancer in her own right, but when she was unsure about something and I gave her a pointer about how to do something, uh, as far as following how she would know what my lead was, the whole rest of the night, she was silent. She was mad at me. Mm. I didn't know what was going on. And then finally, when we were able to talk about it, she said, she confided that by my giving her that sort of cue or suggestion, she felt like that one, I was criticizing her ability to dance and that by default, I was comparing it to my wife, who was obviously probably a great dancer. So those sort of tender sensitivities are there, you know, Mm. and you don't, you know, you don't even realize it. So you have to experience those and understand those, but it is easier, I found, with someone who's widowed as opposed to someone who is divorced because of the whole ghost of life past thing. It's, it was something I was never able to overcome because the memories were happy. They didn't talk about their exes, even though their exes were around, and that's a whole other thing. You know, the exes were involved with the children, and I hear about X, 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 X. I didn't right. have that. Right. But when I brought up a happy memory, it was there was almost some resentment. Mm. I would have to say. Oh yeah. 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 I get that. Yeah. So in talking about your journey through dating and really grounding it in your book, would it be safe to say that your book isn't necessarily a how to date after loss book, but maybe more of like a reflection on your own journey? Exactly. It is It is definitely <laughs> not a how-to book. It is a how-I-did-it book. And as I, after I wrote the book and began to do research about how to get it published and what the market was, there were sort of two segments I found of books, and you all may know more, but these are the ones I found there, were books written by women for women. And spoiler alert, men don't fare very well. Ooh. What? They were, Get out <laughs> yeah, of here. Shocking, isn't it? And then there were dating books written by men for men. They were generally written, they were sort of bro books 
with locker room mentalities. <laughs> Broke, and, uh, bros before we get out. Spoiler alert, the women don't fare well. And right. to be honest, the men don't actually come off right. too well either. And there was never, I couldn't find any book, uh, a dating book written by a man about women that's really for women. That's what this book is about. But it's really a telling of my story. This is how I did it. It is not a how-to, but I will share with you, I had 20 beta readers, all female beta readers, women beta readers, and ranged in age from 30 to 75. Ones who were much older and married or even single who read it, had always wanted to know how online dating works. And then after reading it and experiencing it vicariously, they said, I am never, ever going to do that. <laughs> Once they were closer to my age who were married, said, I don't care how bad he or she gets, I'm not divorcing him because I'm never doing that. <laughs> and my, I had three editors for this book, and I was so fortunate to have an editor up in Toronto. She was, she was 31 years old just a couple of years ago. And she was actually a creative writing instructor, nonfiction writing instructor with a focus on memoirs. And mm. she had written early in her career, and early would have been just about 10 years earlier, a book called All the Boys I Ever Kissed. And it was sort of a tell-all book about dating and so forth. So she edited my book. It really helped make it a great read for readers. She really focused it on, focused on the reader experience. So after we finished editing and we were just wrapping up, I, you know, we were on Zoom because it was during COVID. And her name is Nelwyn Lampert. She lives up in Toronto. I said, okay, Nelwyn, we are a generation apart. I could be your dad, not your <laughs> grandfather, but I could be your dad. And you wrote a book about crazy dating things with boys. Were you surprised at the things you read in my book that the women did at our age. And she just looked at me on the screen and goes, oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. She had no idea. And one of the, uh, the pre-publication reviews late last year were, were tremendously good. And one was obviously written by someone in her late 20s. And she actually finished her review by saying, I thought dating would get easier after my late 20s. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, Turner, we appreciate so much you coming onto the show and chatting with us a bit about your journey and your journey to write your book. Uh, speaking of which, where can our listeners find out more about you and your book and get a copy of it in their own hands? Thank you, Christine. Uh, the book is available uh, on Amazon. It's also available at Barnes & Noble online. Amazon is the, the best place. It's available in paperback. There's a hardback uh, version and ebook, and the audiobook is about halfway through production. I hope to have that out in early June. So oh, nice. Amazon would be the best place to go. Yes. So are you so, doing the reading on that, or are you getting like Samuel I L. Actually, Jackson or something? I actually, <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I don't know if he's Samuel L. Jackson, but I, I am not doing the reading because I, I actually do work very hard in the book to protect the identities of the women that I write about. Mm -hmm. So I change personal details and so forth. And doing the book myself would would be a giveaway. So actually having an actor in LA who is doing the book and he's phenomenal. He's nice. Phenomenal. Awesome. Yes. That's yes, great. Terrific. And what so is the, the book, book, is, book called again? To Venus and Back, 
One Man's Quest to Rediscover Love, available on Amazon, soon to come audiobook. And the website, if you would like to go to the website, there's an interesting part of the website, and that is Ask Turner Grant. And my, both my publishing consultant and the people involved with the book had a lot of questions. So we decided to make a section both on the back of the inside dust jacket or the hardcover and on the website, it's much longer, is Ask Turner Questions. Mm. So com or turnergrantauthor.com. You can go to the website and you may get answers to the questions that you're thinking of right now. That's amazing, Turner. Well, we want to say thank you so much for being on our show and for sharing a bit about your journey. We will definitely make sure to put links to all of the references that you just made in the show notes to this episode. And uh, listeners, we hope that whether you have experienced pieces of Turner's journey yourself or know somebody who has, or just want to learn more about what it's like dating uh, in your fifties and getting back out there after loss, that you would definitely pick up a copy of this book. Because again, it's not just about dating. It's about self-discovery and healing and grief. And uh, there's so much that each of us can learn to just be greater, more compassionate, more empathetic people in this world. And so Turner, with that, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you, Christine and Chris, and congratulations to you both for finding each other. It sounds wonderful. I'm thrilled for you both. Oh, thanks, Thank you so much. (laughs) Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. Hey, you know, that was great having Turner on the show today. I really appreciate him joining us all the way from the East Coast. Yeah, absolutely. It was very intriguing to listen to his perspective. And I just loved hearing his approach to talking through, you know, his healing process and, you know, really discovering more about himself. And I feel like that's so much of what that dating process is, is partly figuring out what you want in a partner, but more so like who you are and what you stand for. Right. The thing I got out of it most was the fact that when you're younger, you're dating somebody, you're talking about all your hopes and dreams, things you want to do in the future. And when you get older, it's like things you've already done. You know, what's funny is that like, I remember when I was dating and if I was dating somebody who's younger or somebody I met on, on a match, or one of those dating sites, you know, that happened a younger person, Let's say younger, I would say like in their 20s and here I'm in, you know, my 30s. What? Why are you dating somebody that young? Well, okay. That's neither here nor there. But anyways. (laughs) That's everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. But the thing was, is that you you talk to somebody and of course I've done all these great things, you know, had a career, had, you know, I don't know if I I didn't have a house back then. I was like, had an apartment or whatever. But the point is this, is that I feel like I had gone, gone along in my journey i guess mm-hmm. uh, especially with divorce and, and kids now and everything else still you're dating somebody who's like literally has no kids they may or may not have just moved out of their parents house you know and yeah we used to joke about that when we first started dating and you're like you know oh so um what's your living situation and they're like well my roommates da, 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 da. And you're like it's the more they talk about their roommate the more that you realize wait 
is that their roommate or their mom they're talking yes, about? Yes, yes, like, my well, mom's our roommate, yes. My roommate, I mean, my housemate. And I'm like, oh, you mean your mom and you live in the basement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's probably a good uh, one to pull over and say that, like, uh, you know, my my uh, my roommate or housemate is your parents. We don't say your parents. You, say, you, you just, you know, <laughs> my wash over. Yeah, my housemate. And they say, what, can we house, check your house out? Oh, my housemate's there with a party. I can't come over. You can't come over right now. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And they're like, they're like, mom, show on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But definitely being at different stages of life is, you know, it's, it's very interesting. And, you know, finding people like Turner was saying that are at a, a similar stage for similar stage in life as you, uh, I had, I dated a couple of individuals that had, not been married before and had no kids. I remember one in particular and we were right about the same age, like within like two or three years. I think I was actually a little bit older. Yeah, I was just a little bit older. Really nice guy. And, you know, he really liked me a lot. And oh, who wouldn't, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I mean, come on. You know? Thank you. Uh, but I remember having a conversation like we'd been seeing each other for like two months and you know very platonic and i didn't actually really feel anything for him but he was a nice guy to hang out with and oh uh, your friend zoned him huh no it just kind of happened naturally yeah, and yeah um i just asked him like where do you see this going and he's like well i'm just enjoying it and i'm like okay that's a generic answer you I say know, it's, i know it's like, he, it's like saying i don't know i mean do you like me i mean maybe but <laughs> no but he liked me and he's like i'm just you know he just come he was military he just come back from deployment and he was just you know trying to get like get himself grounded again but i was at the point where i was like i'm looking for a partner in life and and then i he was young enough that i was like maybe i should just ask him like if he wants kids because the baby factory's closed like that's not happening and and i think like if if you're on that different of a playing field it's better to know that from the get-go versus like getting emotions invested and feeling later on like you've taken so much time and energy and tried to pour it into this relationship or quasi relationship only to you know have to disentangle from it later yeah it's is that a word disentangled? No, it was. It's like going on a road trip. Like, say you're driving to Vegas, and you're like halfway there, or almost, almost all the way there, and you realize, oh crap, I forgot to bring any clothes. I forgot to bring a wallet. Oh, I forgot to bring cash. Oh crap, what do I do? Yeah, I mean, kind of. It's it's more like taking a road trip to Vegas with somebody that you've never traveled with before, and then realized that they wanted to go to Vegas. And drive out to the Grand Canyon and spend their time looking at the sites, and you planned to gamble the entire time, or drink, like, or go to the club, right, or whatever like, maybe. Like having two different sets of priorities, and or you know, going on vacation, and they are planning to go, 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 and you wanted to rest. It's that more of that kind of a scenario. Yeah, like go to go to a Disney theme park and just want to sit on a park bench. Well, what's wrong with that? I like to people watch. <laughs> yeah, they do have some great people watching at uh, Disney theme parks. Yeah, definitely. But anyways, Turner brought up some really good points. And I am looking forward to reading his book and also, you know, following along on his journey and seeing where it leads him. And um, I just you know, wish him all the best and just loved having him on the show. That was, like to say, fantastic, baby. 
Thank you. Well, Chris, where can our listeners find out more about us, our podcast, and the Chris and Christine Media Empire? Well, you can go to our website, which is chrisandchristineshow.com. There's a link to it into the show notes of this episode. And on that website, you can find out more about this podcast. You can also follow along on Chris's journey with Podtastic Audio, especially if you're an indie podcaster or up and coming podcaster that needs some great tips. Also, if you're looking for podcast engineering or production services, you can reach out to Chris there. You can also uh, tune in to K2 Radio. We have links to that on there. That's right. Our 24-7 radio station playing around the clock. Doesn't stop. Music can stop, baby. Yeah. Keep, keep the beat going. Keep the beat going. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and then you can also get links to check out our event planning business, which is Christine Smith Designs. And so that's why we like to call it the K2 Media Empire, because, you know, thinking back now, Chris, five years ago at this point, um, I think this is like a week before we even started chatting on Match.com. When you stop and you reflect back on your life five years ago from today do you not to put you on the spot but i'm gonna put you okay, on the go spot ahead. uh do you feel that your life is in a better place and that you're more fulfilled now uh, definitely 100 percent, yes for sure and what's funny though is that when you at this time moment around this time of year when we record this right now i think i just bought my sports car it was in the month of May. I remember mm-hmm. that. And at that moment, I was like, I, it was a car that I've always dreamt of having. I've always want, I wanted this car for many, many years. Never could afford one, never could get one. And then I finally bought one. And I was like, you know what? This is going to be my babe magnet. And then I go, I, I hooked <laughs> you, you, did. I hooked you up, baby. Two weeks later, you got me. That's exactly what I did. I said, babe, I got a sports car. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you did look hot in that. You did bring it out to our first date. And I was like, that's a hot car. But I also had a hot, hot car. That's what matchmaking has made. <laughs> I know. And now it's we're funny. both family. We've we got family cars now, you know. You, <laughs> we traded <laughs> our sports cars for family cars. We did. But, you know, I look back and I'm so grateful that we both took the risk on love and stepped out in faith because, you know, there's been uh, not only our relationship and our family that's grown, but we've been able to, you know, bring love, light and laughter to more than 70 countries around the world, every state in the U.S. And I just think that's such a great accomplishment. And I thank you for encouraging us to start this little thing that we called podcasting oh fun times maybe it all yeah well thanks so much everybody for listening in with us we appreciate you tuning in every week we hope that you enjoy this episode if so hop on give us a review on apple or whatever your podcast platform is share the episode and we'll be back with you next next week. week